Do I sound all right? Mm-hmm. Like, am I? Am I? Ready to be <laughs> now you air. are. You weren't before. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> okay. We'd like to remind you that the information contained within this podcast reflects our own personal opinions and should not be held as any kind of official recommendation. That's right. This podcast is for our own purposes. It's educational mm-hmm. and, and for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Edutainment, if you will. <laughs> We're just a couple yahoos with master's degrees, and this isn't a professional capacity. So if as you're listening to an episode, you feel that maybe you need help with your own mental health, please do contact your own doctor or a therapist. And finally, we try to stay pretty clean with this podcast, but sometimes we slip up and sometimes we just talk about weird stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> it might be not safe for work. You'd probably better listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips, the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. Hello, Mom. Hello, Anna. It is Valentine's Week. <laughs> the you, week of you love. You could have gone to any love song, <laughs> and instead you just kind of like vocalized about the word love. Because it was a summary of all the songs <laughs> of love. All, all in that one little, one little <laughs> yeah. word. It had all the emotions of yeah. love. All the emotions all of love. All wrapped up in one note. <laughs> That was a powerful note right there, You are concise. (laughs) Brevity is the soul of wit, William Shakespeare said. I love when you quote Shakespeare, Anna. (laughs) I don't do it often, so (laughs) take it while you can get it. Valentine's weekend would be a good time to be quoting some Shakespeare. Sure. There's some romantic crap in there. He's got some romantic crap. (laughs) I don't know about anybody else, but honestly, I had this is really negative. I have to just say it. Get it off my chest. I've never really liked Valentine's Day. It's always, it's pretty commercialized. It, it always feels schmaltzy. It feels too, like, there's a lot of pressure. The pressure, that's exactly it. Yeah. There is a lot of pressure because with Valentine's like, Day. Because, like, you know, you're, it's, it's pressure to be a couple. Right. And if, you're, and if you are a couple, there's pressure to be, like, lovey-dovey-dovey. And if you're not in that place right now, it's hard. Yeah. I think the worst of it is, like, that feeling, like, if you don't have a significant other. That feeling like, what's Valentine's Day about? Right. Oh, you I'm know. single and it's I the know. worst uh, thing in the world. Uh, no, it's not. There are there are worse things. Yeah. It's okay. Oh, there's so many worse things. Yeah. I have not ever really. I have to tell you that your father used to never, he, when we, even before we were married, he said, I will never give you flowers on Valentine's Day because everybody who doesn't usually give flowers gives it on Valentine's uh. Day. And so he said, you know, I will give you flowers at other times. But And he held to his word. He never once gave me flowers on Valentine's Day. Yeah, his, his flower budget was probably used up on that day. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to mix up the cards. <laughs> oh, that hurts my heart. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, oh. Sorry. It hurts you because it's your dad or yeah, me I mean, I my can, husband at the time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it hurts me a little less because I wasn't the one like <laughs> getting cheated on. But Wow, you're just putting it out there for Valentine's I mean, Day. I mean, happy Valentine's Day. Love hurts. My favorite Valentine's Day was the one when I was expecting a baby to be born. On me February baby or 14th. other baby? You baby. Me baby. It was your due date. February 14th was your yes, due date. I was supposed to be born on Valentine's Day. I was supposed to be Cupid. 
Keep it herself. And you were like, no way, I'm not going to do that. I put my little my little hands and feet up on the outside of your womb. And I That's said, kind of nope, what you I'm were doing going. the whole time. I'm yeah. not going. I'm not sure what you were holding on to in there, but you are not coming out. <laughs> Something. <laughs> holding on to the umbilical cord like yeah. a little, little I spelunker. Ain't going, I ain't nope. going. <laughs> but that was a very special Valentine's Day because I knew I was going to have a new little love. A new little bundle of joy to love. Bundle of love. That's me. She was. She's a bundle of love. That's this episode. This episode is a bundle of love. There's your title right there. <laughs> we found it Boom. already. Title Got it drop. in one. <laughs> yep, sisters, you've come to the right place for Valentine's Day. We're going to talk. we've just totally crapped on Valentine's Day, said love hurts, talked about how hard yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Love sucks, but hey, it's good. And we're going to explain it. <laughs> explain why it sucks. We're going to look at love from a point of psychology today. That's right. We're going to break it down and kind of... Uh, see what's going on in the brain when love happens. Mm. See what's going on like in kind of general psychology when we're de- navigating relationships. There's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, we say that often on this podcast, you know, when we bring up a topic and we're like, there's a lot about this. Sure. There um, usually is. There always is. We're and, but, usually right. But I mean, love, let's face it, love is like the biggest pie Yeah, in when the I world. pitched this to you, you were like, that's kind of broad. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. That's a lot. That's a, a little overwhelming. But what else are, it's Valentine's week. We should talk about it. And Valentine's Day this year that we're recording this is falling on a Monday, which is really that crappy. Is weird. It's crappy. Yeah. Because it's like, eh. So then if you go out over the weekend with your significant other to celebrate Valentine's Day, then you have to give them like another card on Valentine's Day? Or you don't give them their card to Valentine's There's a lot of rules. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that they're not rules. They're just, you're guessing Social. what your partner wants unless you ask mm. them and have a talk about it. That's true. <gasps> talk to your partner? <laughs> Novel idea. <laughs> Communicate with your partner. Oh my goodness. Say it ain't so. <laughs> All right. So where should we start, baby? Um, hey, what number are we on? Oh, gee. 98. I want to say 98, but I'm not super sure. 98. You're right. All right. We're getting Lub. there. L-U-B. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. Where do you want to start? Do, do, do. Um, no. I would like. <laughs> We're not going to sing any more Beatles. We're not going to do it. Uh, I would like to talk about the eight types of love according to the ancient Greeks. Yeah. Way back when. Which actually. You're doing history today. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> dun, oh, yeah. <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't had history. We really haven't forever. had history. We haven't had a person yeah. in a while. We should do a person next time. We need to do a person next time. Let's think of somebody good. Well, we're going to do a person here pretty quick. Oh, we are. That's true. That's Hey, oh, that's foreshadowing, sipsters. (laughs) You should be getting excited. Get on the edge of your seats because our hundredth. Our hundo episode's coming coming up. up, And we're going to do something very, very special for you. (laughs) You're going to like it. We should get knockered for our hundred. We really should. We We should should get. We we have not gotten blitzed in a while. That's true. We're, We're kind of recording in the middle of the day these days. Yeah, so. it is kind of weird. We we used weird. to we used to do it more in the evenings, yeah. and it does kind of feel weird to day drink. Yeah, 
Oh, well. What are you biting? What are- uh, I decided today I need a fidget. <laughs> I decided today at lunch that I need a fidget. Because I do that thing where I twist my napkin. Yeah. Or else I twist like the straw. Sure. The oh, yeah. Paper. yeah. I twist it. I and fold it. it. Yeah. And, I, and I was looking around the table at these other women that I was having lunch with, all of us about the same age. And everybody else was sitting there with their hands nicely folded, either on the table or in their lap. And <laughs> You're I'm like, like tearing things And I was like tying things. the knots with my straw. And I'm like, <laughs> I maybe need a fidget. <laughs> Or something to go. Yeah. Okay, enough about me. Enough about me. Let's okay. talk about love, baby. Let's talk about love, baby. Let's talk about love, baby. Okay. <laughs> so that's not the song. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'll stick to the Beatles. So these terms that I'm going to use are the they are Greek terms. However. They are referred to often in psychology. So, yeah. so that's kind of why we're putting them in here. So the first one is is the primo kind of love. Primo love. Agape love, which is unconditional love. The biggest um, love. The biggest, most altruistic, selfless, unconditional love. And really, even when they came up with the term, it was kind of like, this is the this is the perfection that people are shooting for. Right. Uh, you often hear this word kind of religiously or spiritually, that people refer to God as having agape love, because we realize that really as people, unconditional is kind of impossible yeah. for the human brain. I know so, someone whose middle name is agape. Oh, that would be cool. It is very cool. That's a very cool name. We do strive for agape love, and I would think... That the closest thing to it is is probably the love that parents have for their children. I was gonna say dogs. Well, <laughs> I think we have a agape love. Really, I think true. dogs have agape love to for our us, humans. Yes, yes, yes. I don't think it is the other way around because they poop on the floor. Well, we still, <laughs> we still love them. And, yeah, I was gonna say even floor. cats too. Like, I there have yeah. been times where like I've had one of my cats on my lap and I've been like, "You are the the most disgusting, <laughs> the worst," and yet I love you so much. <laughs> So yeah, I guess that's kids yeah. too. Kids yeah. do that too. Kids and pets. Kids are pretty gross. Yeah, kids get a little. Kids are sticky almost all the time. Sticky and icky sometimes. Sticky and icky. <laughs> but boy, they're that fun. Sticky and icky feels like you and me's like names. <laughs> sticky and icky. Hi, this is Sticky. <laughs> Welcome to Freddie and Sips. This is Sticky. This is Icky. <laughs> Okay. All right. Agape love. So okay. that's how I love you, Anna. Oh, that's very Agape sweet, mommy. Love. I love you too. The second kind is Eros love, and that's like romantic love. Mm-hmm. So with your significant other. Eros is um, named after the Greek god of love and fertility. Mm-hmm. And so it's associated with like romantic and passionate physical love. Kind of all tied up in that is sex and I was going to ask, stuff. is physical intimacy part of Eros? It is very much part okay. of Eros. In my notes, it says the Greeks were actually quite fearful of this kind of love. Um, They thought that because human beings have an instinctual impulse to procreate, that this love was so powerful that it would result in loss of control. So it's like... I um, mean, they're not wrong. Right, right. (laughs) You get caught up. And I'm sure that when we talk about the brain stuff and you talk about... Oh, yeah. There's some legitimate psychological reasons that that happens. Exactly. It's not just your imagination that, that when you're in love with someone, you feel like you're a little out of control. That's really true. So that's Eros love. Philia is what they call affectionate love. This is kind of like how you feel for your friends. Oh, okay. Okay. And I've I've seen it also called some other things like the brotherly love kind of thing. Sure. Philia. It can be your friends. It can also be part of your love for your significant other. 
Yeah, and I think that's and that is something that I think we can mention that as we talk about these different types of love, there's often overlap. Right. I mean, we often can can you know have a certain type of love for someone, but it can mold into other types of love. Exactly. And and we can. It's not just like you have one of these types for like every person that you know. Exactly. But philia is is the kind of love like platonic love. So there's no sexual attraction there in philia. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to pronounce this, and now I'm having a a little bit of an anxiety <laughs> attack. Like that. Hey. Philotia. Oh, that that one's always hard. Yes. Philotia is self love. Oh, hey. And so, hey, um, hey. <laughs> hey guys, if you of... don't have a date on Valentine's Day, <laughs> do some self love. Some philotia. <laughs> And the Greeks did not mean this in a negative way at all. Sometimes in our society, we hear like self-love. We can think of like narcissism. Exactly. Ding, ding, ding. It's not about that. It's not about being selfish. It's it's actually a healthy well, kind of thing. Well, and okay, wait. Because <laughs> I've had this talk with a lot of clients that sometimes we have to be selfish and sometimes being selfish is a positive thing. Right. That sometimes we need that that time for ourselves and that care toward ourselves. So being selfish is not automatically a negative thing either. Right. It's the word selfish that it's has a negative, negative connotation. connotation. Right. So so if we would come up with a different word for it, which I guess you could use self-care or self-love. I've, yeah, self-care yeah. often. Yeah. One of the things that was in part of the article that I was reading was was the term self-compassion. Oh, I like and that. And I really like that. And I've used that with um, some of my clients when, you know, when clients are going through a hard time and they're giving you, they're really being critical about themselves. And you say to them something like, now, if your best friend came mm-hmm. to you and said this, what would you say to your best friend? And they show great compassion toward their friend who's going through like empathy and compassion. But then when you say to them, okay, now turn that inward, do that self-compassion thing. That's really hard for some of us to yeah. do. It, it is it's like a such a different mindset right right like and they can and and clients because i've done that too with clients and they can say like of course i would say this to a person and they always know where that's going right <laughs> they're right. always like uh-huh uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh. but it's so <laughs> different practicing it with yourself that's really true okay so that's the fourth one the fifth one is storge storge and this is uh, that fam- sounds Russian. Familial love. Sure. So this would so be is like... is that different than brotherly? This is more like parents and children. Okay. Okay. It says, this type of love looks and feels a lot like uh, philia. Oh, okay. The affectionate love felt between friends and siblings. However, this is more like parent-child. So there's a little bit more of an emphasis toward the parent-child, child-parent Gotcha. Thing. Okay. So Stor- I thought you said that was Stor- agape. Well... I have a godly love for you. Not <laughs> all parents better do that. at love. <laughs> no. Than most I people. I wish that was true. Again, there's no physical or sexual kind of attraction in this, in Storge. It's, it's oh, good. being like family. There shouldn't be. Kimchi. Freud, Freud, yes, pay attention yes, here. Yes, Did you hear that, Freud? <laughs> the sixth kind of love, according to the Greeks, is pragma. And this is, I like this, enduring love. Hmm. It's, it's like a pragmatic. That exactly is probably that very good. So Root words, baby. It's kind of like you know, eros love is that sexual love that like burns hot and then it's done. Mm-hmm. Kind of feeling. It's got a lot of passion and intensity, but quite often it burns out. But pragma love is a mature love that's developed over a long period of time. So the kind of love that you know, like old married couples or you know people who have been together for a very long time and they've you know they've been holding hands since they were teenagers and now they're Aww. in their 60s and 70s and they're still holding hands you know so it doesn't when you see a little old couple oh, walking down the street don't you love that holding hands oh it's I the know. best and now i guess i'm one of those old couple <laughs> 
Do you think that when you see me holding no. hands with my significant other, no. you think, oh, that's so cute? No, those old, old couples, little couples oh. toddle. Oh, you guys don't toddle. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> it won't be long. I will. I will tell will you, you. The tell day me? you start He'll to say, toddle, I'll Holy be like, "Crap, mom, you're Aww, toddling. You're toddling." Aww. <laughs> Aww. Um. So a big part of this would be, you know, the idea that these people have learned to work together. They've learned to make compromises. This it takes a lot of work to get that to that level of love, that pragma. Well, so. yeah, and that's the thing. The pragma, I think, goes more toward that intentional love, and like you are making the choice to like be committed to them Uh exactly okay we're on number seven ludus how many are there seven eight god ludus is and these kind of to me they the next two are kind of like aren't they part of something else but okay so ludus is is playful love oh fun Uh, it's kind of like the definition has something to do with game Mm-hmm. So it's more like that infatuation that you feel in the very beginning and you feel like you get butterflies in your stomach and you're like, ooh. So this kind of goes with the Eros thing. Mm-hmm. It says, studies show that when people are experienced this type of love, their brain is acting much like it does on cocaine, which is That will come probably, up several yeah. times. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so those songs about love is a drug, it literally is <laughs> It truly a drug. is. Our yeah. brain reacts very similarly yeah. to those two things. Yeah. So if you've ever felt that, Sipsters, where you're kind of like, oh, I'm high on love. <laughs> yeah, you probably are a little high on love. So, <laughs> so that's ludus, though. And that kind of goes with the Eros kind of love where it's like you're infatuated with someone. And it probably is not going to last. The last one is, I would argue, is maybe not technically a love, but it's mania. Mm. And it's obsessive love. So it's not really a positive thing uh, it's when you become obsessed with a person it can lead to some yucky stuff you yeah. know d- jealousy at the top of the list and you know like anger and violence at the bottom of the list there that is like whoa it's kind of like it has some eros in it it has some ludus in it but it's kind of taken a really bad turn especially if the person that you are so obsessed with has does not have right any if it's unrequited you. yeah then well because we then into, it becomes even more obsessive exactly so that's it, when it's we, not allowed to move into any of the other types right and this type of love i'm putting that in quotation marks because i again i don't really know that this fits the definition of love but it, it is often experienced by people who have low self-esteem or mm-hmm. attachment issues which is something we've talked about in another episode and maybe we'll come back on as we talk further about love because we talked about attachment in two episodes actually in episode 52 and 53 because it's a lot it is the first the 52 is all history we did only history for a whole for a whole episode wow can i wait dovetail swan tail what is it swan tail dovetail dovetail swan dive (laughs) i might do that too don't tempt me yeah let's dovetail because that's my eight so what do you got well because i want to dovetail to a psychologist named john lee who did a 1973 book called the colors of love oh yeah i read about that yeah very cool and it and it links with the the greek type so Uh i want to i want to talk about those while that's fresh okay so john lee compared the styles of love to a color wheel so if you've ever seen a color wheel in any color theory we have the three primary colors and then the secondary colors in between are mixes of the primary colors Mm -hmm. and he basically said that love works like that that there's three main types of love and then there's secondary types of love that are combinations of those Uh so he said the three primary styles are eros 
So the the passionate the love, sexual, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ludos, the playful, playful. love, and Storge, huh? Which, which he says the love of friendship, but that's more family, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, familial. Well, I would say so. Platonic, maybe, okay. would be a way to okay. say it. So those are the three primary, basically. Huh. And then the three secondary. The first one is mania, and like you said, that's eros and Ludos. Okay. And so that goes to obsessive love, and then the second secondary style is pragma which is ludos and storge so that's playful and like platonic yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and that's like realistic and practical like you were saying what was that one pragma okay pragma okay and then the the uh, last secondary style is agape and he says that's eros plus storge huh isn't that strange yeah i i i almost feel like agape would be a whole separate Mm -hmm. entity because it's so above and beyond but well agape to me is like encompassing a lot more than just two styles uh, yeah so it's but and but, i would argue that you don't have to have eros to have agape. i would say so i that that's my main thing yeah. is like agape i think transcends physical right i think it's almost like a whole separate category right yeah yeah but so that, that is some of that I agree with and John some of Lee's, it I don't agree with. The Colors of Love book from 1973. That's where. Oh, it was the 70s. He was probably. <laughs> All bets are off, baby. <laughs> he was doing the free love and drugs <laughs> and said, let's do a color wheel, dude. <laughs> a love wheel. A love wheel. Getting run over by the love wheel. There are a lot of theories and stuff about love. And there we'll kinda, are. We'll come back to some yeah, more. Yeah, let's come back to that. So. I want to hear some brain stuff about love because I like, I was almost going to say love. I love, Anna, when you talk about brain stuff. So tell us some brain stuff about love. Oh, you? there is so much brain stuff about love. Oh, love really love likes does to mess so with your brain. much to our brains. <laughs> so let's talk about what happens in our brains when we fall in love or when we experience attraction. Like like you were saying, like sometimes it's not love, love. It's just right, right. when we're experiencing the beginnings of that. So I do want to clarify here. I'm going to say some things that's gonna, that are going to sound cynical a little bit because it's like, it kind of goes to that, oh, it's not in love. You're just experiencing chemicals in your brain. It kind of is related to that, like, it's all in your head thing. Oh. We had that episode where we talked about yeah, like, like that. terrible phrases we've heard right, about psychology. Right. Yes, it's in your head. But that doesn't mean it's not real. There are legitimate chemical things happening that your brain... We've talked about our brain. It's this electric sack of meat in Mm -hmm. our heads. And yeah, there's weird chemical things happening. But that is real to us. Right. When we're experiencing that, it's very real. So it's not like I'm saying this is just chemical reactions. Yes, it's chemical reactions, but those are real. Exactly. We're just explaining what, what they are. So let's start with the attraction. Um, When we feel attracted to someone, the brain lights up the VTA, which is a brain part that I have a hard time saying every time. It's the ventral tegmental area, which I always want to put an extra R in tegmental. There's no R in there. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss thing. I know. Ventral tegmental. That's not real. (laughs) Not real. It is real, though. Uh It's um, basically the dopamine production center in our brain. it's very important. Very important. And it's a little little part that lives in the middle of our brains. And it sends all these little neurons to other important parts of the brain so it can shoot dopamine at them. (laughs) (laughs) Like a little t-shirt cannon (laughs) of dopamine. And as we all know, we talk about dopamine so freaking much. Oh, we do. We should be sponsored by dopamine. (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, brought to you by <laughs> brought to you by dopamine and serotonin. <laughs> wow, wow, big gets. <laughs> So we know dopamine as the reward chemical. Mm -hmm. Dopamine gives us motivation towards something. When we feel dopamine, we want to we want to feel more dopamine. Basically, mm, exactly. it it makes us want to do more of that thing. So that's like when we're doing a fun activity, it's giving us dopamine. We want to do more of it. And when we experience attraction, the brain gives us that shot of dopamine. So we want to pursue that attraction. Oh, fun fact from this article. This is kind of just a side note. The mesolimbic pathway, which is basically like the dopamine highway in our brain, is so ancient that even worms and flies, which evolved about 2 billion years ago, have a similar reward highway in their primitive systems. Worms can get dopamine? Yeah, we're... Well, we're, yeah, like, I think burying through dirt makes them <laughs> Ooh, this feels so, so happy. Good. And flies, when they eat the little poops, they go, oh, this is so rewarding for me. I'm experiencing so much pleasure right now. I don't know if that's actually what gives oh, them dopamine. I hope no scientists are really but, listening to this. <laughs> what do you mean? We're scientists. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot. We're the scientists here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah worms and flies have dopamine highways and they're in their little fly brains that's really amazing i know uh so after we do that that dopamine hit from the the vta we move to the nucleus accumbens it's a little structure not far from the vta and it functions as basically a stimulus control center in our brain uh and it kicks dopamine production up even more <laughs> So we're getting even more dopamine. It's going to trigger feelings of bliss, euphoria, desire. So uh, this is kind of the puppy love stage. Right. You know when you like have a really big crush on someone and you're feeling this all euphoria right. when you think about them and everything? That is from an influx of dopamine that your brain is, is giving to itself, basically. Right. Uh, you're high on love, baby. Like you said, it's just like cocaine. <laughs> it's exactly like cocaine. <laughs> One of the things that I read that I, I like the way they worded it, you know, there's that old saying about love at first sight mm -hmm. and that, and well, that's not love, that's lust or that's attraction or whatever. But the way that that article worded it was that research shows that it takes a fifth of a second yeah. to feel the attraction, to feel mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. rush of chemicals. And when it happens in that article it said it affects 12 different areas of your brain yeah within seconds it's like boom it's you know? flooding it's so, just yeah. flooding our brains right so so you you know that old saying about love at first sight that's why it can't you know that's right. why somebody made that up because well that is i think and that's attraction right. attraction's pretty like we know pretty quickly whether or not we are attracted Right. Visually to somebody. Right. Or I, I guess if you're blind, do you get attracted by like their voice? And their smell. Ooh, smell. Smell's an important one. We've talked, we have a whole episode on, um, we actually have talked, when we were talking about doing this episode, we were like, haven't we, we done do this? this? Yeah. <laughs> we, we've talked about several things that are kind of adjacent. I think we did talk about attraction. Yeah, yeah. Even like who we find attractive, right? About the the way their faces are shaped. And yeah, we, we talked, talked about, about attraction in episode thirty two, mm. and so, kind of what like how biology and like evolution affects that, and right. and how like genetics and like the smell, like hormones, that's a big one. So yeah, that that does play into it. So if you're interested in that, go back and listen to thirty two. But yeah, I mean, we and we just about the cocaine thing, but. Dopamine works very similarly in this as it does in uh, addiction, actually. So our brains are kind of experiencing similar things. 
The brain also sends messages to the adrenal gland, and the adrenal gland produces adrenaline, obviously, and norepinephrine, which are chemicals that control our fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So when we're, you know, think about when you're having a basically nervous reaction to someone that you like. You get these sweaty palms. You get you get you get pit sweats. Yeah, you get jittery feeling. Like, there's lots of sweats. Yeah, I'm a very yeah. I'm a very sweaty person. <laughs> <laughs> My nervousness makes me sweat very much. Um, but there's like shaking. You have butterflies in your stomach. That's pretty much fight or flight. Right. You're experiencing fight or flight about this attraction to this person. Because that's scary crap going on. It is on. kind of scary. <laughs> but also, yeah, I totally get that. And I am definitely a flight. when it, Like uh, thinking about like being in high school and having like a crush on someone. Oh, yeah. Run the other way, run baby. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Talk to that person. So yeah, it very much is. It's a fight or flight response that uh-huh. you're experiencing. So then uh, once we get past the initial attraction and when we kind of move on to being in a relationship with someone, the love shuts down our critical thinking. So that's a thing that happens. Uh, I could have told you that from life experience. (laughs) Anecdotally, I know that. And over and over again. And this is especially in the first stages of a relationship. Uh, When we experience that love, that attraction, our brain actually shuts down the amygdala, which is a hugely important part. Another part that we talk about very much in our our podcast. Uh, The amygdala controls a lot of emotions. It controls fear. It controls anger, sadness. So we're basically not going to worry as much about the object of our attraction, which is going to explain why we can sometimes miss those red flags that are there. Right. And this makes perfect sense if you guys think about it. Yeah. Because it's like when you're first in that relationship and you got all that going on with all those hormones shutting down your brain and right. stuff. And exactly what Anna said, you miss the, you're miss you so focused on the positive, you miss the red flags. Then you settle into the relationship a little bit and some of that early on excitement and hormones kind of cut back a little bit. Back, and all of a yeah. sudden you're like, holy crap. Yeah. And you start to see more and more of the negative things. And that's when you have to make a choice mm-hmm. about are these negative things too much for right. me to stay in relationship with this person? Or Yeah, I've had know. several clients, especially when the relationships get like really bad, uh-huh. that are like, how did I not see this before? Like, right. Like people often kick themselves about not... Being more aware, being more logical, being right. being more critical, but literally the brain is shutting down those parts right. when we're experiencing that love. And and also just practically speaking, what has happened often in those kind of situations is so they were in that early stage where their brain was shutting down and they got involved with this person, got, you know, deeper and deeper and deeper. And by the time their brain settles down a little bit and they start to see all of that really in reality, they have established mm-hmm. a relationship, basically. So and then sometimes it's like, a life. Right. So then it's like, well, it's not like you can just go, okay, never mind, and walk away because you've established a life, mm-hmm. as you say, a relationship with mm-hmm. that person. And that's not just something you just say, okay, never mind. No. You know? the, and that kind of goes back to, it can kind of sometimes go to this sunk cost fallacy thing. If you're not aware of what a sunk cost fallacy is, it, it is like when we have put a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort into something, we can be very hesitant to back away from it because we feel like, well, I've sunk all this stuff into right. it. And it would be like, giving all that stuff up that all this time right. and energy that I've put into I've it I'm basically so hard th- on yeah this. throwing yeah. it away I can't tell you how many times I've heard a client say 
but you know, we've worked on this relationship for X amount of time mm-hmm. and I've put all this time and energy and right. we have children together or whatever, you Especially know, Especially when there's kids or, yeah, yeah. or a house or mm-hmm. or a business together even. Oh, like so there's, many things. There can be a lot of things that tie us tie us in and it's hard to hard to know when we need to let that go. Right. That is linking back to the amygdala basically being shut down. And the frontal lobe ability decreases too, it going going along with that. So we're like, we're so effed. Like, we're so effed. I don't know. I don't know. I don't so know. Just kiss me again. I don't know. I know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The, and the frontal lobe, I mean, and especially like it has this ability to think clearly, think critically. That's where all that lives in the frontal lobe, mm-hmm. using logic about what's going on. Logic has no place in love. <laughs> None. I can't wait till you talk about oxytocin and how that messes us up. We're getting there. This is probably the frontal lobe. Because it kind of all ties together. Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah, yeah. And it's all this kind of string. It it leads right. us into next the next stage of it or whatever. Exactly. Um, the frontal lobe thing is probably even worse in kids. When we're kids, not only do we not have a fully developed frontal lobe, so well, think of being there, in high school. Be, exactly. Yeah. Oh, falling in love when you're 15, 16 oh, years old. Oh, my God. You yeah. have all these hormones going yeah. on. Oh, my gosh. The hormones of like puberty and well, stuff. Well, how do we even survive that God, stage? I, unclear. <laughs> <laughs> if you've made it past 15 or 16, congratulate yourself <laughs> right now. <laughs> hopefully you have if you're listening to our podcast. Oh, yeah, because you're not supposed to be I mean, 15, 16, you're... I guess, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, those poor saps, those yeah. poor saps with their undeveloped frontal lobes. If you have a child or grandchild hormones, who's that age, hey, be empathetic yeah, toward give them. Give them some extra hugs today because be like, they are screwed. None of your brain is working <laughs> as it should be. You poor child, these <laughs> poor poor children in their stupid frontal Leave lobes. Leave no child behind. <laughs> Leave no child. Leave in no love. frontal lobe undeveloped. <laughs> Um, so so I guess the question is, why do our brains do this? Why would our brains shut down our critical thinking center and our amygdala? And why would our brains give us addiction chemicals for love? Well, so it's, we can reproduce. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's very evolutionary. And like right. we can procreate with this person because right. we want to. Because honestly, if we didn't have these chemicals, no one would want to be around each other. <laughs> well that's a positive note for valentine's day (laughs) if god didn't program you with these darn chemicals to fall in love with somebody think about it okay what if our frontal lobes didn't shut off no one would stay together after like 12 days (laughs) no one oh Oh, anna marie anyway (laughs) remember how i said i'm not being cynical yeah (laughs) well maybe a little bit a little bit cynical But but yeah, like you're exactly right that that our our brains are are evolutionarily developed uh-huh. to make us want to be with someone enough to procreate with that person. Uh, so the things we've been talking about, the adrenaline, the dopamine, these are quick highs. They get us interested very fast. Like you said, a, a fifth of a second, a tenth of a second. What'd you say? A fifth. A fifth of a second. Our brains are flooded with these chemicals. That is not a lasting thing. That mm-hmm. is a quick high. 
That's also why you shouldn't use cocaine. Because <laughs> cocaine's going to give you a, a very quick, quick high. high and then not help you. And it's bad for you. It's bad for you. <laughs> Cocaine's bad for you. Take that to Love the bank. Love is difficult, but cocaine is bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> True. That's a good distinction. Uh, yeah, they get us interested. They want to. They, they leave us wanting more. That's that dopamine thing. We want more of it. So uh, our brains are evolutionarily designed to get us interested very quickly in someone so we can further the species. And it hits us with that quick high, but then it settles into attachment. And attachment is more long-term. Mm-hmm. Uh, attachment is related to an entirely different chemical called oxytocin. Oxytocin is made in the hypothalamus and it's released in the pituitary gland. Again, little things in the center of our brains. These things are so small. They're like walnut sized that is crazy to me how these small little structures in our brain small little nuts have a lot of power (laughs) oh i'm so upset to hear those words coming out of your mouth (laughs) yeah small little nuts have a lot of power in our brains (laughs) but oxytocin itself is called the love hormone the love hormone the love we need very white yeah love. <laughs> love uh, and it is released during times of of intimacy like hugging breastfeeding orgasm um all of those things release oxytocin and oxytocin is what strengthens social bonds in mammals so the intimate things that we do with our partners help create those strong bonds through that oxytocin and that's another thing that like when you're in a relationship like long term, like if you're not feeling super linked to your partner, try hugging them. Right. I know that sounds silly, but like hugging them, especially for like, I can't remember if it's six seconds or like 10 seconds. If, if you hug them for over a certain amount of time, it releases an even bigger dose of oxytocin. So those kind of things are very good in strengthening those bonds and maintaining those bonds when mm-hmm. we have them. But mm-hmm. but oxytocin is the one that's not a quick high. It's a lasting lasting effect that, that changes us and makes us feel connected to people. But that's what goes on in our brains, Ma. Ooh, that's a lot. It is a lot. Our oh. brains have a lot of things happening. No wonder we're so overwhelmed. I know. <laughs> no wonder we have anxiety when we're when we're falling in love with someone. <laughs> so that's all like like the immediate stuff that happens and then like you said you kind of went into the the more you know longer 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 lasting things with it with the oxytocin and stuff but I don't know just that we started with that idea of like when you say you're in love with somebody a lot of people do that thing where you're not really in love you're just attracted to them or you're having it's just chemicals in your brain yeah yeah so is everything idiot (laughs) but I think that when you talk about relationships and love there is just such a heavy amount of that definition is that you choose to yeah. Be in a relationship with someone. That's a huge part. There was that that saying for so long that was popular. That might have even been in the 70s too. Love is a verb. Ah, sure. sure love sure, is sure. a verb. And there's also the one that says love is a decision. I think that's from some kind of like marriage encounter or something, one of their themes. That sounds right. Love is a decision. And and that's really true. I mean, but again, we're back ah. to connotation versus denotation. So, so well, what love is. So like with all the stuff that we just talked about with our brain chemicals, I mm-hmm. wouldn't say love is a decision. 
Like mm-hmm. it. Well, and it depends on where the definition of love is. Like that's you just exactly said, right. Like, is it attraction or is it love? Is it like? Is it love? Is it lust? Is it love? Right. But but we are getting those chemicals as part of the love process. Right. So I think a lot of that isn't an intentional thing. Right. We don't choose when our brains flood us with dopamine. Our brains choose that. Right. And we react to but it. But I guess we choose how to act on that. Then. Yeah. Exactly. Because like, let's say you're in a long-term relationship with someone and you suddenly see somebody at the grocery store that makes in the fifth of a second you go gaga over. Our brains don't really care if we're in a long-term relationship. If we're married, it's going to give us that dopamine anyway. We don't stop being attracted to people. Exactly. And that's something that I've talked to clients about. Like, it's not like you did something wrong because you were attracted to somebody. You can't control that. No. Especially just that physical and literally chemical attraction like somebody walks by and you smell in your brain click, clicks and in. you're like, you know, baby. Yeah, yeah. You can't stop that. No. But what you can stop is how you choose to act yeah, on Yeah, if that. you're going to jump yeah. on that person. <laughs> in high That's heat, you. <laughs> That's all you, man. Yeah, in the can't middle of the grocery that on the grain chemicals while the store manager is saying, excuse me, <laughs> please, ma'am. <laughs> please get out. <laughs> please get off that person. <laughs> Spraying you with a hose. <laughs> yeah, you've made bad choices today. <laughs> <laughs> Can't blame that on the oxytocin, baby. I thought that maybe we could go in a direction where we talk a little bit about what we as clinicians, as counselors, have have seen and talked about maybe in relationships or... I think that's a good idea. I also would like to talk about other clinicians, other psychologists and their theories, theories on love. Why don't we start with... The, why don't we do that first? Okay. Okay. Because I know that we talked about a couple, so... Yeah. Go, baby, go. So the first one I want to bring up is Robert Sternberg, a psychologist who Mm -hmm. has a triangular theory of love. It says that there are three components of love and that they are intimacy, passion, and commitment. So intimacy is feelings of attachment, closeness, uh, feeling bonded with somebody. Passion is connected to like infatuation, but also sexual attraction, like that kind of quick stuff that we were just talking about mm-hmm. and then commitment in the short term is the decision to stay with somebody and in the long term it's basically building a life together it's shared achievements plans that we have with that person so it's the things that we build together with that person and basically he said that different combinations of these three things result in different types of of love. So combining intimacy and commitment results in compassionate love, and combining passion and intimacy leads to a romantic love. But he said relationships built on two or three elements are much stronger than those based on a single element. So think if you. That makes sense. Like a tripod. Yeah, exactly. You need some stability, you need right. some uh, structural integrity. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, good word. Good uh, word. Thanks. But, <laughs> but that makes sense. Like if you're, if you're, just with someone because you were experiencing passion with them, it's probably not going to last super long because that's those quick high things and then there's not going to be the longer term stuff. That's right. But he called it consummate love when you have all three. So if you are experiencing intimacy, passion, and commitment with someone, Sternberg called that consummate love. Um, but he said that that was, that was pretty rare. He said that it's pretty rare to have a consummate type of love. That's sad though because you would think sad. that anyone in a long-term relationship 
would at least be at times in that space. But well, it's that's sad the thing. I, so I don't rare. think it's going to happen all at once, all like all right. three all you're the gonna time. Have, you're going to have issues sometimes. Yeah, I you're going to have times where you're yeah. committed. You're going to have times where you're feeling more passionate with them. It's not It's not an all or nothing kind of thing. So can, can we go back for just a minute? Because I don't know why I didn't quite get the difference between intimacy and passion. Yeah, intimacy is like uh, attachment and connectedness. So it's like not feeling sexual, bonded. it's like... Just, no, that's passion. Okay, okay. And passion is yeah, like the sexual... Which, I don't know, This that's hard too. I have this note later as well that like from an LGBTQ plus standpoint, mm-hmm. asexual and aromantic people are going to experience this very differently. Right. Like if you don't experience sexual attraction or don't experience it in the way that like a majority of people do i'll say Mm -hmm. then these definitions are going to be very different Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean like like if you're asexual and you don't experience sexual attraction you can still have love some with someone absolutely you can still have commitment with them you can still get those dopamine flashes because it's just gonna look different right so i don't want to make this sound like while we're talking about love that like if you don't have that physical intimacy with someone that your your love is less than or something and two i mean that we're kind of talking about romantic and partners uh love in this episode but but again we go back to the familial kind of love you're not going to have a sexual intimacy with you know your right children or your parents or whatever please don't please don't, don't kiss do your that family that's a whole different thing <laughs> um but but again i think you can get the dopamine from that too you sure. know when you hug your kids and when you bond with your parents i mean you can feel that kind yeah. of love that's very good and uh, it was very cute way uh we had lunch yesterday you and i if you remember uh and <laughs> we did <laughs> and when when i got when i got in your car you said i love you and i like you that was cute I've Aww. heard that. I've heard that other places too. That's very cute. Yeah, I say that to my kids a lot because I do. We are lovable and likable. Us both. At least together we are with each other. <laughs> yeah, very much. <laughs> and other people sure might not. Uh, people, not yeah. sure what the general population would think of it, but I think we're awesome. <laughs> I have a note about another psychologist, but it's kind of about the negative, what hurts a relationship. Oh, yeah. Can I throw that in or do you Please want to? Please do. Okay. Well, this is John Gottman, and he's kind of a, a pretty famous psychologist for marriage counseling. I I have done some I was workshops say, I know I've with heard, John Gottman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they're they're still very. He and his wife are very active in the marriage counseling scene. But he says, <laughs> you know, it's legit when it's a couple doing. I know, it. and they actually are married and they love each other. So, but he says that there's four main things that kill a relationship or that will injure your love in your relationship. And he lists them as repeated criticism. Yeah, that'll um, do it. Mm-hmm. Expressions of contempt, which kind of sounds like criticism, but he says like using sarcasm. So it's not necessarily criticism about the person, but just sarcasm in general. Sure. Using sarcasm. I don't know. I think that's hard because I do think there are some people who like, can meet each other with sarcasm like that's mm-hmm. kind of how they communicate yeah it might look weird from to, the outside yeah exactly might it might look kind of yeah. but but i also think that there needs to be a balance with that with tenderness that's that's a very good point because i know that 
that you and I have talked about before, seeing a couple that we both knew that they're very sarcastic with each other. Right. And my thought is, I hope that maybe when they're not with us, that there's a balance of gentleness right. there with right. that. Because because if all you do is be sarcastic with each other, there's no softness You wear there. down a little yeah. bit. And different people handle sarcasm differently, too. Sure. That's really true. Um, yeah, I think, and, and I do think that even if you are a couple who uses sarcasm as communication... If only one of you is doing it and the other one's not there, That's really that bad. that kind of goes into yeah. this like contempt. Thing. I can speak to that. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> I was in a relationship with a person who was really hard with sarcasm, and that yeah. was not. And I'm totally the opposite, so that's hard for me. Um, the third one is being overly defensive, and the last one is stonewalling or like giving the silent treatment. Mm. Um, that that's very detrimental. Well, to yeah, if your communication breaks down, there's. Yeah, that's kind that, of it, that buddy. cliche, you know, about, you know, well, communication is the problem. I know that a lot of times when couples come in for counseling, a lot of times they, bless <laughs> you, excuse me, bless you, is that the first time I've ever sneezed. I was going to say that that felt new. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Woo. Got a little dopamine from that. <laughs> A release. <laughs> Jared. Yeah, sneezes are good. Your, okay. your nose is clearer now. Oh, I feel much better. <laughs> um, my allergies are terrible today. Yeah. Um, okay, struggling. sorry. Sorry, sipsters. <laughs> um, I've had so many couples say just basic, like, communication is the problem. Communication is the problem. You know, and we... And sometimes speaking they say, of broad, sometimes they say, <laughs> "Yeah, kind of what broad. do you mean by that? You know, what do <laughs> you clarify. mean when you say?" And sometimes they don't know; they just know that they've heard that if they're having trouble, it's probably that they don't communicate well, which you is know? true, probably. Yeah, exactly. Like it's if if I'm willing to bet anything about like a couple's having problems, it's probably that they're not communicating well. Right. But that looks so different with different, different couples. Oh my gosh, because they could talk all the time yeah. and not be communicating, not well. saying anything. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Shut up and communicate. (laughs) But yeah, or they could like if they're communicating with that sarcasm stuff, that's still bad communication. If they're not communicating at all, obviously not good communication. So yeah, the communication's probably the problem, but it depends on how it's the problem that that's how we're going to treat it, basically. Exactly. All right. Do you have some something else that you want to share as we bit back? Bip bop boop. We are going to bip bop boop. Um, about Gottman, that the the one that you were just talking about, mm-hmm. the way that he looked at that, I think is interesting, is a longitudinal study mm-hmm. over 40 years. So he was following couples for like several decades to see what behavior would predict whether they would stay together. And that's how he found those That's amazing, four isn't it? Yeah, I think longitudinal studies are like one of the more they reliable, have, I they guess. They have better... Like, especially if we're, like, and longitudinal, you specifically follow the same cases mm-hmm. over several years. So you're able to, obviously, it's going to take a way long time, 40 years, before yeah. you get, like, significant results. But it's, I, I think, more 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 grounded because of that. Good job, Gottman and wife. Yeah. Also Gottman, yeah. I assume. Yeah, Gottman. <laughs> the Gottmans. <laughs> the Gottmans. Um, yeah, let's... I want to bip bop to a social psychologist named Zick Rubin. It's <laughs> a great name. It sounds like Zick Rubin. it sounds like his name is Rick Zubin, and he like wanted a pseudonym, <laughs> but he like panicked. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? Rick uh, Zick Zick Rubin. No. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, that wouldn't have worked with my maiden name. 
<laughs> if both of your names have the same letter, you're screwed to do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's that. Uh, I'm not a huge Family Guy fan, but there's this. There's a funny bit. They have funny bits every once in a while. He's uh, Peter is in a ward or a hospital or something, but he wants to give a fake name, <laughs> and and he does that like line of sight name thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> But he sees a P on a on a plate, and then he sees someone crying. So he says P, tear, and then a griffin flies by. <laughs> griffin. <laughs> and he goes, oh, dang it. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. That is funny. Every once in a while, they do like it. That. They do they it good. They get a good one once They did it. <laughs> do it every once in a while. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Zick Rubin, our, our friend Zick Rubin, developed instruments to empirically measure love and like. He distinguished between those two things. He said that sometimes we have really good appreciation or admiration for someone and we want to be around them. But that's liking. That's not loving. Uh, Love, he says, is deeper. It's more intense. And it includes a strong desire for physical intimacy and contact, which is where I had my ace note, (laughs) where Mm -hmm. if you're asexual, that might look very different. Mm -hmm. But you're probably still going to want intimacy. It's just not going to look physical or sexual Sexual, like other couples might right uh so romantic love he says has three elements <laughs> i held up two fingers I and know. i had to correct i was just yeah. <laughs> three elements i wasn't gonna tell the sisters <laughs> but you confessed it so yeah. you just gotta be authentic <laughs> man uh attachment caring and intimacy that is okay so this is the thing as we kind of talk about love in general all these concepts feel very similar it's just slightly different right so we've got sternberg with his three Three. and then we've got rubin with his three that are different but similar but he has attachment, caring, and intimacy. So attachment is the need to be cared for, um, to be with someone else. The physical contact and approval are important in that. Uh, caring is valuing someone other, someone's happiness and needs as much as you value your own. So self-care, but also other care. Right. And intimacy is sharing private thoughts, feelings, and desires with someone else, which I like as an intimacy definition. Because it doesn't have that inherent like physical intimacy as a part right, of it. Right. Like I, I truly believe that like you can have intimacy without having physical intimacy. Right. And that, that leads my brain to kind of a negative point, And that is because I just saw a client this week that, you know, she was determined to keep saying over and over again that her husband had not had an affair, but because they had not had sex. Right. But she kept going on and on and on about how he would tell this other person all of his intimate details and would tell this other person things that he didn't tell her as his wife and you know and we really had to to look seriously at intimacy is not just being sexual with somebody right. intimacy is when you become really vulnerable to another person sure. you open yourself up to another person and that emotional you know that that saying about you can have an emotional affair it's really true. i think That's especially intimacy. with the advent of like online communication oh, absolutely emotional affairs are big absolutely but and that's not to say like because i also think relationships can be unhealthy in that it can kind of be tunnel visiony where uh relationships like and that happens often i think with young people where there's that joke of like oh joe got a girlfriend and we haven't seen him in weeks you know right, right. that like we can only focus on our partner right especially in the beginning stages of a relationship during that infatuation thing i think but it can be unhealthy if we are specifically like blocking our partner from other people like we only want that so it's not into narcissism exactly and and like it's pretty manipulative and not great right so we don't want that we can have 
like, I guess, intimacy with other people. We can be authentic and open with other people. But if we're not doing that with our partner and we are doing it with other people, that's where that's it becomes a problem. a problem. Yeah, yeah. It's a, all about balance again. It is. There we go with the balance Always thing. Always is. I know. So Ruben says, or Ruben developed a questionnaire. Originally, he had 80 questions. That's so many. <laughs> Cut it down to 13 questions for both like and love. So I don't think these are the actual questions, but the the article that I was reading had these as like uh, examples. So examples for items measuring liking would be, I feel that blank is a very stable person. I have confidence in blank's opinions. I think that blank is usually well adjusted and blank is one of the most likable people I know. So those are liking questions. And then the ones measuring love are more like, I feel strong feelings of possessiveness towards blank. I like it when blank confides in me. I would do almost anything for blank. I find it easy to ignore blank's faults. Those are pretty negative. It's pretty negative. I was going to say, I feel like that's an immature love. That's kind of infatuation, right? The, the, the possessiveness, yeah, especially. The possessiveness and the not seeing any of the negative. Because mm-hmm. once you get, like we talked about. Well, once that's you the get amygdala frontal a, lobe thing. Yeah. Once your frontal lobe kicks back in, you're like, oh, yeah. You're like, oh, there are the faults. <laughs> oh, yeah. There I they found are. them. Ding, ding, ding. We all got them. <laughs> there they are. <laughs> yeah. And then you say, but I still so, love them because yeah. there's enough that I like about them. And that, right. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we just have to kind of. Pro-con it. <laughs> exactly. Weigh, weigh it out. Uh, so that's Zick Rubin. I didn't I didn't look. I know. It sounds fake, right? It does. And it sounds like a nightclub singer <laughs> or something. You know, yeah. Like a- Here's Zick Rubin with his <laughs> rendition of oh, yeah. What is Love. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Killing me softly with his song. <laughs> <laughs> he blinded us with science, everyone. Here's Zick Rubin. <laughs> Uh, I love that. <laughs> Do you have any that you want to bop to? I don't know. I don't have any theories or anything. Mm-hmm. I'm. I think I'm theoried out. <laughs> I mean, I have a couple of weird little side sidebar notes. Yeah, I think but. those are the the ones that I. Uh, the only other theory I have is psychologist Elaine Hatfield and colleagues mm. came up with two basic types of love, which are passionate and compassionate. You couldn't come up with two different, like, more distinct. <laughs> That's kind of like the changing your name thing. I know. Passion Those are a little know, too I don't close. know. Got another word? Passion. Compassion. Compassion? Sure. Okay. So compassion is mutual respect, attachment, affection, and trust. And it usually develops out of um, understanding, mutual shared respect. It's more balanced, it kind of sounds like. And Hatfield suggested that passionate love arises when cultural expectations encourage falling in love, when the person meets one's preconceived ideas of ideal love, and when one experiences heightened physiological arousal in the presence of the other person. So that's the brain stuff that we talked about, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, passionate is intense emotion, sexual attraction, anxiety, and affection. I think it's funny that anxiety, anxiety is, is one of them. I remember reading that and thinking, yeah. oh, that's so appropriate. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um she suggested that passionate love is transitory. So basically it leads into compassionate love. Kind of how like when we were talking about the brain stuff, that original like high right, leads into the oxytocin stage. Right. Um, but she said that passionate love lasts from six to about 30 months, which is a large range. <laughs> 
Um, Six to 30 months. It's interesting. I, I have this kind of running joke that like my, my honeymoon stage lasts for three months because I, I never, before I met my husband and dated my husband, none of my relationships lasted for longer than three months. So that's as long as my frontal lobe was shut down in any of those relationships. <laughs> and then once your frontal lobe then kicked it in, popped like, back up and went, oh, oh, oh. So that's interesting. Yeah. But but she says six to 30. Yeah. And then I have a, a couple little studies. Do you have a couple studies? You talked about the fifth of a second. I have that one as well. Mm-hmm. And and how that kind of includes the the brain getting a similar hit from love as it does from a small dose of cocaine. Uh-huh. I read that several places. Yeah. I had one little study that, and this is kind of a sidebar to back to the, like, if you're having trouble with your love relationship, um, there's a psychologist author named Ronald Rogie, and he did a three-year study that found that divorce rates were more than half halved mm-hmm. in relationships where couples this sounds so corny this i i know which one you're talking about couples and i watch, didn't mention it because it movies. sounds so crazy they watch mo- like romantic movies and then they talk about it afterwards that's so they the process key I think. It. yeah you can't just watch a movie together like you that have was to a good process movie. It. you yeah. have to talk about yeah, it yeah you have to say like well you know we do that sometimes what sure. they did and and i do think that that's powerful sure i mean you can use that in other in other you know that's the whole after school special thing <laughs> you know you sit down with your kids and watch the show about this <laughs> kid on drugs funny. and then and you're like, so junior. Let's talk about drugs. <laughs> so. Junior, don't do cocaine. Just have a crush. I just just will fall in love. It's the same thing uh, as doing coke. It's the same thing as doing cocaine. <laughs> yeah. So if you're having some issues in your relationship, watch a sappy romantic movie and and then talk about what did they do differently than we do. Or, mm-hmm. but then see that goes the uh, to me the core of that is having. A communication right having something that facilitates exactly. communication so, so it's not really the about thing. the movie it's about the communication yes and one of the, one of the reasons i didn't include that in my notes is because the one of the parts in the article that i read uh, i'm sure it's not a part of the actual study that's like you don't have to go to counseling you can just watch a movie oh my God. it's oh like my no God. this is not an no, appropriate no. uh fill-in for no, counseling no. And I'm going to throw in right now about that. Yeah, let's because let's you do and it. I have talked about couples counseling is often very difficult because couples wait too long. Yes, we've talked about that recently several times. They wait until it's a crisis point right. instead of just doing maintenance. Right. So even if you're in what you think is a pretty good relationship, but maybe maybe a little tweaking would be nice. If you and your partner agree to that, get just. It doesn't mean you're going to go for 10 years. Just go a few times and see a counselor and see if and have an objective person listen to the way you communicate. And, right. And just having you. a neutral space to talk through some of this stuff is going to be a game changer. Right. I agree. Because you don't want to wait until the last, 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 you know, like one of you is ready to leave or one of you is like half out it's the door. It's a little too late. Because, yeah, because by then there's been a lot of water under the bridge and sometimes yeah. it's really hard to backpedal. Yeah. So. I have a study from psychologist Robert Zajonk. Zajonk. I don't know if that's easy. Z a j o n c. Oh my. Zajonk. I don't know. Uh, and colleagues. Zajonk. Zajonk. Um, 110 participants were shown photographs of men and women in their first year of marriage and of the same couples after 25 years of marriage. This one's great. I I love love this one. one. Uh, They were then asked to judge their resemblance along with the chance that any man and woman were married to each other. The researchers went to a lot of effort to remove extraneous info and crop photos so only the faces could be seen. So they are only looking like the background paint. 
exactly or yeah, yeah they're yeah. just looking at the faces so they had a few and, and what they basically found was that couples after years of marriage start to look alike right and these 110 participants confirmed that uh so they had a few different ideas of why this could happen uh the first was a diet that that you know if you're having if you're living together you're probably eating the same stuff so it could and i can see how that could cause like similar body types but this is only the faces and i mean you could i guess have like chubby or skinny faces yeah yeah that's true but the authors um did another smaller study that kind of ruled that out uh their next idea was environment so basically like environmental factors like sunshine um like it could affect the skin similarly but the Mm. authors also ruled that out because all their married couples came from the same part of the midwest of the united states and they were matched on a number of like socioeconomic variables so again that was like how they uh, tried to eliminate extraneous information to try to make it more compatible basically they said the predisposition might play a part and that people are more likely to choose partners who will grow to look like them for example and this is interesting they said like depressed people are attracted to other depressed people so they might end up looking depressed (laughs) which is sad (laughs) which is depressing depressing. (laughs) the authors give this one kind of a maybe it's not their favorite thing and i will add to this that i do especially when we talk about attraction i don't know if we talked about this in our attraction episode it was so long ago (laughs) but we we talked uh, we might have talked about it but but how we can kind of there's a theory of people and i read this during the love research as well that people are more likely to end up with people who are kind of their similar attractiveness level yeah we've talked about that so, like, if you think you're a six on a scale yeah. of one to ten, you try to kind of find somebody around a right. five, six, seven. So, I yeah. think that can kind of play into yeah, this. Yeah, I think so, too. And how we're more likely to pick people who I think maybe look like us originally or right. look like our parents. Right. So, I mean, I think that there's those kind of things, I don't things know how too. that fits with people who, like, biracial couples and things like that. I don't know how that theory goes with that. Well, I think that, that I mean, you can still kind of look like each other in, like, huh, facial... Yeah. And, and that goes with their, their next theory, and it's their favorite theory which is that empathy is what causes this to happen Mm. so they say that people might grow to look similar because they're empathizing with each other and copying each other's facial expressions oh that's very cool yeah and over time because of all this empathizing and uh all the the the, like copying they're doing basically that they kind of start to look like each other so if a partner is smiling in a particular way the other ones may be copying it and Mm. then they're gonna create a similar patterns of like wrinkles and furrows on their face i love that that's great i like that that's cool and we do that i mean like just as social creatures we kind of we kind of chameleon and and copy other people um to to like reflect and it's called mirroring mirror neurons we we talked about mirror neurons that was actually one of my favorite episodes of all really mirror neurons yeah we talked about the monkeys and all that even we were, uh, it was episode 22, mm. if you want to go listen to stuff about mirror neurons and how we mirror That's a good episode, other. Sipsters. That's one of my favorites. That would be one of Bonnie's top 10. Wow. I know. That's a high honor. I know. Because we're almost at 100. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I really like that too, That the, uh, the empathy thing. Uh-huh. I, I think I've, that's like my that. favorite theory as well, people who did this study. Zizzle. Zizzle. The, the last one I have is a, a huge study in the UK called Enduring Love, question mark. 
Oh, yeah. I've got that one, too. You do? Mm-hmm. You want to talk about that one? No, you go for it. Okay. I'll jump in. Um, the Enduring I agree Love one. I know. It's really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so their basic question, their basic uh, premise is, how do couples experience, understand, and sustain the qualities, they call it connectors, of long-term relationships? Um, so to do this, they, they use like diaries. They use personal interviews. They use something that I think I'm going to start to implement in my counseling called emotion maps where they had like a map of the the couple's house uh-huh. and they used little stickers that were like different colors and had different like faces on them to like show where in the house they experienced like different like emotions. <gasps> That's a really good idea. Isn't that interesting? That's I'm going to use that too. Cuz I've talked to couples about like is there a place in your house where you tend to fight yeah or you tend to be more affectionate right that's that's along that same line mm-hmm. oh my I, goodness isn't that interesting mm-hmm. so so that those are some of the things that they use to to study uh basically how how couples maintain uh, positive interactions in long-term mm-hmm. relationships uh one of the things they found is that simple acts of kindness are often appreciated the most like bringing your this is how you can tell it's in the uk bringing your partner a cup of cup tea, of tea in, in bed, bed. <laughs> yeah you want, <laughs> you want a cuppa a uh, cuppa in bed a cup of tea in bed putting the bins out <laughs> putting the bins out um telling them they look good naked <laughs> That's a funny one. Um, so those might all do more than like a box of chocolate or a bunch of flowers, although those those don't hurt. And I would say those are kind of smallish things to do yeah. too. But like just the small everyday things. Right. Like they don't need to be these huge life-changing events to show right. you love someone. And I have anecdotal evidence of this too. Like I, um, I think I've realized lately how much I, I do acts of service when mm-hmm. I'm showing love. Mm-hmm. I would say that's probably one of my top. Uh, I kind of go into like hostess mode (laughs) where, where, and like, I know that my husband, I know that Nathan like really values that. Like when I'm up and about, I'm like, oh, let me get you more water. Or Mm. like, you know, do you want a cup of coffee? Like since I'm kind of already up and about, he just like really seems to value that. He he really gets touched when I offer to do that, even though it's really simple to do. It's not going to take me long. It's not going to take much effort. But I think just the fact you're anticipating someone's needs right. is is very valuable. And I think that's significant in a relationship with your significant other because I remember my mom used to say that sometimes we are the hardest on the people we love the most because we go through the day and we're being polite with everybody in society. We're being nice to people because we've been taught, at least in my that was big for my mom, to be polite to people. Well, and I would say it's big for women too. Yeah, and to put on that friendly face and that happy face and that kind face. But then we come home and we're tired and maybe we had a bad day or whatever. So then we're crabby with our significant other or our children. But in this case, we're talking about our significant other. And so sometimes we forget to just be... Be gentle with them. Be kind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, say nice things. Compliment them. Yeah, and and I think we can kind of take it for granted. It's this thing. I've said that with uh, parents and kids, too. How, like, kids will go to school and try to be on their best behavior, hopefully. Right. And then they come home and let that loose. And Wild Indians. Yeah, yeah, they're little shitheads to their parents. (laughs) But it's, and I've had to say this to parents, like, okay, that's because they know that you have unconditional love toward them. Right. That's actually showing that they feel safe enough to be shitheads and know that you won't leave. Right, right. It's actually a compliment to you. Yeah. Doesn't make it feel good. No, no. (laughs) But I think we can kind of do that with our partners too. Like if we feel safe with them and we feel secure in our relationship, we we can kind of 
be less crappy. kind yeah. because we can think that like it's not going to hurt. So we but need to hold ourselves accountable for that. And yeah, yeah, and eventually that does erode that. So right. I do think we have to be careful. Right. Yeah. I think we've kind of covered it for now. I know. I think that's all I've You could got. go on and on and on about this. Yeah. If you guys have specific questions about love, please yeah. reach out to us. Yeah. Like email us or tweet us or something. But that's kind of all we've got in terms of like the brain stuff and the specific studies. But I mean, I... I think that we would all probably agree to some extent that the idea of having love in our life is core. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't have to be romantic love. Right. But to feel loved and to love others, and that would also include then Mm self-love, that whole idea is very core to just being a a successful human. Right. And so it's a topic that (laughs) you could do lots and lots and lots of study on and talk and talk and talk about but yeah it's important it's a building block it's like uh, we've talked several times on on the show about how we are social creatures and that's right love is part of that we how we love others and how we relate to others is so huge and in our development and how you know how we function and yeah it's we can't just take that for granted it's okay and i would say good to think about it sometimes more critically exactly should I thank our listeners? Should I tell our listeners that we love them? <laughs> Pretty please do those things. <laughs> so, Sipsters, we thank you so much for being with us today. And and we do wish you a happy Valentine's week, even though you might not be listening to this during that time. We'll just wish you lots of love in your life. Wish you love. We li- wish you love. And please know that we appreciate your loyalty and listening to our podcast. Yes. And we hope that you'll join us next time. We hope that you love our podcast. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're Freudian Sips Pod on all those things. Our site is FreudianSipsPod.com. You can email us, FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. And like I said, if you have questions about what we've talked about or um, if you want to hear more about something we've talked about, please let us know. We, we love to hear that. Please remember to leave us a nice ra- rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, all very good places to leave reviews for us our theme music is sweeter vermouth by kevin mcleod and it sounds like this mm-hmm.